I'm Steve McLeod and this is Bootstrapped, the podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies or wanting to run one. I run two bootstrapped software products, Feature Upvote, which lets your customers vote on ideas to improve your product, and Sabre Feedback, which offers a feedback widget you can add to your website. Follow along as I learn from talking to other bootstrappers and experts, and just maybe you'll learn something too. Ed, I received this email recently from somebody doing some content marketing and they want to feature us in their list of top 25 SaaS podcasts. Top 25 English language SaaS podcasts <laughs> with two guys that records on a Friday, that, that one? Or? I'm sure it's not an objective ranking at all. You know how it is. Maybe they just found a list of top 20 SaaS podcasts and thought they'll do even better. They'll do the top 25 and they found us to add. But this is FE International, the broker of selling websites and so on. So I thought, oh, it's good to get a backlink from there. They said they're good people. They asked this question, though, that helped put the article together. What makes Bootstrapped FM special? That floored me. me. I actually didn't know the me. answer. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you, you were going to say that. You want unique content, Steve? I got it. This is the only place you're going to get my unique spin on the SaaS world. So there you go. Apart from when you're a Patreon on other podcasts. No, but in reality, I mean, obviously, all the SaaS podcasts are basically turning through the kind of same topics, right? It's not that anyone has any truly unique insights. What I like about the podcast is I think it's a good mix, right? I mean, of some interviews, some of us just talking. I think also the European perspective. I mean, most of the podcasts are Americans, which is fine. But obviously, there are some unique issues, pleasures and fans of life in Europe. So I think that gives it a little unique spin. What about you? What do you think? Well, I had no idea. And I asked on Twitter and I realized after I asked on Twitter, it sounded like I was saying to people, please tell me I'm good, which is not actually what I intended. And people mentioned like the longevity that despite the change in hosts for like eight years, the podcast has been on the same theme, the same sort of very basic concept. It hasn't moved on to do something different from what it started as, which is unusual. You know, people do something, they get sick of it after six months or a year or their life changes. Yeah, that's why I also think the diversity of format is good. Because if it's just interview, 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 you just get kind of burned out. Likewise, though, if it's just two people telling their story, I mean, maybe their story is super interesting, but, you know, there's a lot of time it's not that interesting, right? So yeah. mixing it up yeah. with, the, uh, with the interviews, I think it's good. So while I was on break, the last few episodes, of course, were hosted by Peldi while I took a break from the podcast. While I was on that break, several people got in touch, actually, to say they enjoyed the podcast and wished me a good break. And here's one email that stood out. Sean from Northern Ireland writes, I've been listening to the podcast for nearly two years now. I run a small SaaS and like everyone else, I consume podcasts as much as possible when walking the dog, doing the dishes or driving the car. I just wanted to say that the Bootstrap podcast is my second favorite podcast. Well, there you go. <laughs> second favorite podcast of Sean in Northern Ireland. So. <laughs> oh, if we really try, we might be number one. But hey, if I tell you what number one is, I'm happy to be number two. Number one is startups for the rest of us. Now, that's like saying um, you're my second favorite NBA player after Steph Curry or something like that. It's like it's a good one to be number two to. Fair enough, uh, fair enough. That's, that's, I thought it was going to be like, my number one is, you know, Bob's weekly podcast about <laughs> dog walking while dishwashing in the car or something like that in Northern Ireland. 
going on? Sean writes, I can relate to you and Ed more so than many of the USA flavored bootstrapper podcasts. That's what I'm talking talking about, Sean. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is due to geographical proximity giving us common concerns. I think you and Ed strike a nice balance between dashing good looks at, oh no, (laughs) between highlighting things that you are experimenting with and things that have worked well. I just wanted to say I enjoyed it thus far and wanted to thank you for imparting some knowledge on an early stage SaaS entrepreneur. Thanks, Sean. I'm not experimenting with my dashing good looks. They're here to stay. They're here to stay. So. I don't know. Like you've, you've put on different clothing this time. Well, you know, you got to mix it up. All right. That's cool. Two things out of that. One is like, it's great to be second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth. You know, this idea that we have, we have to be winners. Like I was just reading yesterday a... Uh, uh, article about how SurveyMonkey failed because they're only doing $200 million in revenue per year and they only grew at 30% last year compared to Qualtrics, which is higher in both of them. And I'm thinking, if that's failure, like you have a really high level of like, of requiring success. It's okay to be second, fifth, 10th, 20th, as long as what you're doing works for you and you're earning money, making a profit. Well, but same thing also with the uh, with the whole idea of po- you know I listen to a lot of different podcasts. I think we talked about this a bit when they had that like best SaaS podcast thing or whatever. I listen to a lot of podcasts because, it, and sometimes I listen to to episodes every week. Sometimes I take a break or whatever. But it's just like, do I get some useful information out of the episode or not? Like some tactic or insight, or does it trigger some idea or whatever? And if I do, that's great, and I can do that from podcast A. I can also do it from podcast B. I can also do it from podcast C. So. There yeah. you go. And the second thing I got out of this message from Sean was about how he prefers it to USA flavored bootstrapper podcasts because he's in Northern Ireland. And that's another thing too about business in general. It's like you can do it your own way, do your own little niche. You know, trying to take on the world is one thing, but I think this is what works for you in your business. Huh? You you have a very uh a focus on Germany, if I understand. Or not a focus, but Germany is a very important thing for you because you understand their needs very well. Yeah, we have a fair number of German customers, but we also have other countries though as well. It is true some markets have different needs and you know different uh, whatever accounting requirements or tax requirements or desires of the customers or whatever. Yeah, so that's what I got out of that feedback. Thanks Sean, I really appreciated it. In other news, oh, my business took a bit of a hit this week, not financially, but my bestest and oldest freelancer is moving on. He's been with me working on Feature Upvote almost since day 1 and helping with all sorts of various odd jobs. But he was only part-time with me, and he had another client also part-time, and that other client said they would like him to go full-time, and they made him a very generous offer. He shared it with me. It's just something I couldn't possibly match. I'm kind of really happy for him because it's, it's great. This is a chance to really improve his financial situation dramatically, but it hurts. But I'm not not like... An emotional hurt, but in the business, it's setting back some plans a bit that I had that involved him. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the issue. Life moves on. Even if people are happy in their job, you know, their life situation changes for whatever reason or their family situation. And, you know, so you got to make your business resilient. I guess, is there like some transition period at least? Or is there, um, oh, yeah, can you yeah. help yeah. you find someone else? Or maybe he has a friend who can take over or something? Or? I did ask him that. I don't think anyone's come out of that, but he's very willing to work with us to transition it uh, or at least not to leave us in the lurch, which right. just goes to show how nice he was to work with. You know, I mean, he's a freelancer, he has, which means that there's no obligation to stay on at all, but he has to help out. 
It's also, I, I realized in the whole time I've been running businesses, the consulting business I ran long ago in Australia, plus this business I've been running since 2008 in various forms. I've never had anybody quit on me before. Hmm. Often, like a couple of times I've had to let people go if it hasn't been working out or they were no longer fitted into what I was doing, but it's never been the other way around. And it's something I wasn't actually mentally prepared for, I have to say. Wow. Okay. Well, that, this was, I mean, when I had my business in London, particularly after the first couple of years, this is basically all I spent my time on is people would come through the business. And I think that's because London was also a very transitory city. A lot of people mm. go there, you know, at age like whatever, 23, 24, and then stay for a couple of years. But we spent a lot of time thinking about that of like building our business such that people could kind of flow through the business. You know, so that a junior developer could arrive, be productive very quickly, not destroy the system, not break things. But then also, you know, at some point, accepting that they're going to move on. I mean, we had a lot of also interns and students and things where it was clear they were only going to be there for a semester or a year or whatever. And so it, it did take a lot of effort to try to build the business in a resilient way so that, you know, the business thrived despite the people in the system kind of passing, just passing through. I mean, of course, some some key people stayed there uh, for longer term. Well, so what are you going to do, man? Are you going to find someone new to replace this guy or what's the plan? I've decided to take my time and think about it and see if I can do things a bit differently in the future or if I want to do things the same. Do I want to find a replacement, a full replacement, or do I want to start doing some things differently, maybe outsource certain things on a project basis or gotcha. start doing some things myself? We do have a big project about well underway. We're rewriting Saber Feedback's web console. It has been in Ember plus Rails, and we're turning it into pure Rails. And that was the chance to do a design refresh. And we've got the design done, all these beautiful mock-ups in Figma. And we were just about to start with his skills, turning it into HTML and CSS, something I hate doing myself. Right. So that project has been put on hold for a month or two while I think about what to do next. Look, it's it's no big drama. I I intentionally run my business so there's not deadlines, anything that has to be done on a particular date as much as possible. Um, but it has to slow down the velocity a little bit. Yeah, that can be frustrating if you're keen to go forward quickly. But yeah, I guess you're in the fortunate position that it's not critical that you go forward quickly. Right, so. right. I have often thought about how can I treat my freelancers well to minimize the chance of them quitting. And some things I do is once a year, without them asking, I'll increase their hourly rate. I pay their invoices as soon as they arrive. Often within an hour of getting their invoice, I pay it. I just want to be their best client ever, you know? Right, sure. And people often are afraid of asking for more money. And therefore, I think I'm just going to do that for them. And I try to be quite generous. This freelancer who's moving on, just a few months ago, we put up his rate by 10%. So hmm. I don't think as much I could have done differently, but that's the approach I've taken. And also be very accommodating about working remotely, about having a flexible life, mixing it in with family and whatever other concerns. And I think with COVID and far more companies now having to go remote, what I'm offering, it's no longer something special, right? It's yeah, it's not as unique anymore. Of course. Yeah, you can work from a small town in whatever country. So what? I can do that with any other client as well, or even as a full-time job. But I think many companies, even the dimmest laggard, has now realized digital is everything. So people are investing heavily in their digital skills. But there's still some uncertainty about the future, about how consumer behavior is going. So... The natural response to that is to invest, but do it in a flexible way. So using freelancers and things like that. So 
I think there's huge demand right now for freelancers yeah. Yeah. and uh, people with digital skills, programmers, designers, all that. So yeah, I'm not sure what you could have done differently because that sounds quite good. I think you just have to accept, man. You know, people's lives change, and, and yeah. at some point they're not. They want to do different things. They want to work on other projects. They want to work with other people. You know, fine. You gotta. I guess always have in your back of mind how you're going to replace people or who else you can tap into to help or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah. and I had them for four years, which is a long run. I, I listened yeah, to the episode run. you recorded with Peldy last week of this podcast, and uh, you guys were talking about how like the staff can leave to do something new at any time, but us as the founders, the owners, it's kind of harder for us. We have to keep yeah. doing the same thing, and it's almost inevitable that people will move on. And to be encouraged, like I, I wish him all the best. And I think this is a really great opportunity. I think in his situation, I would have done the same too. And the other thing is, I mean, it's not like the guy's dead or something. You should stay in touch with him. Maybe, maybe, yeah. in, maybe in three months or six months, this situation changes, right? Yeah. And, and maybe he doesn't like the new job. Maybe he decides he doesn't like working full-time. He wants to come back to part-time. Maybe maybe he realized he has, has more time than he thought, so he can still do some projects for you. Who knows? Right, so, right. All true. Yeah, never burn bridges. So what about you, Ed? What's been happening in Open Cage and the world of Ed Freifogel? Well, everyone, myself included, but especially my kids, you know, we're in the final weeks of the school year and we're kind of every day putting a big X in the calendar until summer vacation is here. And then we're going to do some traveling and do some holidays. So we're going to go do a big trip to the States this uh, summer that was actually planned for last summer to go visit relatives and stuff. So everyone's looking forward to that. So we're trying to race through some projects and close them out before that. And we're trying to launch a kind of new product, a new service. But the problem is, of course, after several months in which we had no real urgency, now we're trying to get this this project done. And then several big enterprise clients have approached us, asking us to kind of do different things, some of which are good fits, some of which are less good fits. But you know, you still have to deal with these people and you have to understand what they're what exactly they're asking for, and then maybe um you know, in some cases, if they ask, can you do this? Then you go, well, I don't know, can we maybe build a little prototype or start, you know, even digesting, like, is this a project that we would want to take on that we can take on? And then finally, of course, you know, have calls with them and present a proposal or whatever. So that's eaten up a lot of time. I mean, the good news is one of these big enterprise clients looks like they want to go forward. So we're diving into that. The bad news is we're really coming up to the deadline because my colleague is about to go on the much-deserved holiday in which he's going to be very much offline and big mountain biking trip. So yeah, we're kind of racing. I'm working more than I've been I've been working in, in many months. Does it feel good to be working harder than you have been? Uh, in some ways, the projects are interesting. On the other hand, I'm also kind of ready for a break and just change the scenery and you know mm-hmm. traveling. And so we'll see how that pans out. But, but right now it's going well. Yeah. The mood is high. I don't know if it's just the general rebound in economic activity or if it's, you know, maybe all of our marketing is starting to pay off or whatever, but we've had a really good run for the last month or so in terms of new customers, some customers upgrading, uh, these various enterprise inquiries. So yeah, so we're on kind of a positive slope right now. So that's good. That obviously makes the mood better, you know? Yeah, good to hear. When you get up in the morning and, you know, I log in and you see some notifications of new customers, even if they're small customers, you know, yeah. obviously yeah. it makes the day go a lot better. So yeah, overall the mood looks good. Nice to hear. What about any unique challenges lately? Well, I can tell one unique story that listeners or perhaps particularly viewers may enjoy. Those of you viewing this on YouTube, 
So I've always been a bit skeptical about YouTube and the fact that you want to post these videos on YouTube. But one category, I guess, that has become quite popular on YouTube or online video in general is kind of tutorials in people teaching you how to do something, and particularly software tutorials. And when people sign up onto our website, we ask them optionally, you know, how to hear about us. And so all of a sudden, a lot of people started putting in YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. And I'm like, okay. So, so I go onto YouTube and I search and try to figure out what's going on. And there's some guy who made a tutorial that, amongst other things, uses our service. Um, and I guess this guy's popular or he has a lot of viewers or whatever. The only issue is this tutorial is kind of dead wrong. <laughs> kind of? Uh, <laughs> completely and utterly dead wrong. Well, it's, I mean, it, it's not completely dead wrong, but it's... The premise of the tutorial is he'll teach you how to find the location of a phone, of, of someone's mobile phone. Okay, so, and the way he does this is he shows, I guess in, in JavaScript, you put in the phone number, okay, and so you, for example, are in Spain, Steve, and your phone number, I assume, is a Spanish number, so it's um, probably starts with the number, like the country code 34 for Spain, it does, plus 34. Three, four. How did you know okay. that? Oh no, this is creepy, how did you know? Okay, so you put in the number, and then the, he has some library that looks at the plus 34 and determines, okay, there's a Spanish number, and so it spits out the word Spain, spits out the coordinates of Spain or something, the coordinates of the center of the country of Spain. So then he takes those coordinates and puts them into our geocoder, okay? And it would then we geocode them and, and we show that that location is in the center of Spain, in the center of Madrid or whatever. So, you know, you would, he would, someone would take your phone number and ping, they get a pin on a map showing that you are in the center of Madrid. And so technically everything of that is correct. The only issue is then all these people are like, you know, what the fuck? The phone's not in the center of Madrid, you know? And the problem is this guy doesn't really explain this this well. Wait, they're writing um, to you, right? They're writing to yes, you. Yes, of course. They're writing to me, claiming that our geocoder's broken. Um, <laughs> and the, Wait, uh, I understand. They think your geocoder's broken because if you search by your by the telephone country prefix, it doesn't give you the exact location of the phone. Correct. Okay, yeah, that's right. completely wrong. Okay. You know, and the issue is a lot of these people, I guess this guy, his audience is mainly Southeast Asia, uh, uh, you know, and so a lot of them are, you know, not uh, not native English speakers. So I think, I don't know if they're, when they watch the video, they're missing exactly what he said. I mean, you know, they're, they're not grasping the full concept. I think a lot of them are also kind of very junior programmers, you know, maybe students or whatever, kind of in the first semester. So, so they're kind of missing the concepts. Like they're not really understanding what's happening, but you know, the guy has this tutorial and it sounds convincing. So they just kind of assume this is correct. And then this all of a sudden creates a support issue for us. And frankly, it's quite annoying. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd share that anecdote of like how through no fault of our own, all of a sudden now we have a support burden. So the conclusion is basically YouTube is evil. <laughs> okay, okay. And this is going to be on YouTube saying YouTube is evil. But there goes my chance for monetization. Hey, is this possibly an opportunity, not with this particular person, but to sponsor somebody with a following on YouTube to make videos teaching the basics of geocoding? And that I guess, you know, there are tons of videos like that also for many of our competitors. Sort of. The issue there is I'm not, it's not clear to me. Like, I mean, the part that's so frustrating about this is all of these people who are contacting me, typically in often broken English, so it's difficult mm. to communicate with that. Like you, yeah. which I, I don't mind that someone's English isn't perfect, but it's just, it means it's going to take more time and effort. Yeah. And deal with them. 
but none of these people are ever going to become customers. Yeah, yeah, you know, understood. Okay, so it's like, how many hours a day can I invest in support for someone who, you know, there's zero chance they're ever going to be, in, they're, they're not in my target market. Yeah. And meanwhile, I've got enterprise customers who want like a proposal, you know, like it's not a good use of my time at all. Maybe one out of a thousand of these people converts to the, the cheapest plan, whereas the enterprise people want to give you, I'm just throwing numbers out in the air, $1,000 a month, $500 a month. Oh, yeah. For the next yeah. Five or 10 more, years, way more. Or more, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds like an easy decision about where to focus your energy. But you have good tutorials on your website about how to do the basics of geocoding and reverse geocoding. Yeah, right? of course, of course. Yeah. We have all, we have all those tutorials or whatever. Have you ever thought of adding videos to them for those who just prefer to? I have thought about that. Obviously, like any type of content, it needs to be created and you need to make sure it's high quality. And, yeah. you know, my agent doesn't like it if I overexpose myself on video, you know, because then the video rights to my image, you know, things like that. So, yeah. so there's a lot of negotiation to be done. You keep mentioning this agent, but I'm beginning to think <laughs> the agent doesn't actually exist. You know, I've never actually seen you and the agent in the same place no. at the same time. In seriousness, though, you know, it's just a project. And I think this is kind of a general issue. It's like, how much energy should I put into tutorials of any type, be it, mm. be it text or, or video or whatever, that are targeting the entry point in yeah. the market, so students yeah. or whatever, when those yeah. people, on the one hand, of course, it's a good thing to have in that the student of today becomes the, you know, the, the professional of tomorrow. But the path from that guy actually becoming a customer is right. long, very long. Yeah. So, but on the other hand, if I don't do it, competitors do do it. I mean, particularly mm. we have big competitors who have whole, you know, marketing teams and yeah. uh, educational outreach teams and stuff like that. And so if you don't do it, then they do do it. And then it adds to the SEO clutter. Yeah. Surely even somebody in a big organization with an expensive project still needs to learn the basics of geocoding, the terminology, whatever, at some point. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, the issue is, does me spending time and effort to create yeah. a high-quality video yeah. reach that person? Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll give one final argument in favor of adding some videos, be it YouTube or otherwise. When I was struggling to get some content to rank at the top of Google for Sabre Feedback, I got Robert Brandel, our mutual friend and SEO expert, onto the show, and I asked him for advice. And he gave me some. And one thing was to turn the content of the page into a video and put that video on the page. And that was the thing after which we suddenly got to the very top of Google and we've stayed there ever <laughs> since. Now, it could be coincidence, but you know, if this is what an expert told me to do and it worked, that's just one final piece of argument I can use to say why you should consider turning some of your tutorial content to videos. And how did you go? You did that yourself or you, you paid yeah. someone to do that? Or? I tried to find somebody. My first attempt, they didn't have the time or whatever. So eventually after procrastinating for ages, I just did it myself. The production quality is low. I just wanted to get something up there as a first point to yeah. see what would happen. And bam, it just went up to the top. So I recorded it here in my office. I used ScreenFlow to do a little bit of cutting and to... And, and what, it's just you kind of showing how the product works or whatever, or yeah. clicking around on the dashboard? It's about feedback buttons. It's you know, everything you need to know about feedback buttons, why to use them, how to use them, pros and cons, things to look for. I don't remember exactly all the content. Very dry for, you, for anybody not interested in putting a feedback button on a website. But for those who do, 
It's like, I don't even know if people are watching the video. I haven't looked at any stats for it, but just having yeah. it on the page, Google seemed to think, oh, this is something serious. Put it up at the top of the search results. Different people behave differently on the internet. And like, maybe it's a generational thing or a cultural thing or whatever. But, I, you know, some people, I, I much prefer reading. I can read very mm -hmm. quickly and scan very quickly. Um, some people like to watch videos, you know? Yeah. And so maybe that's the way to go. It's interesting. For example, I also have one customer, a big customer. So I kind of have to put up with this, but this guy's method of communicate, he only communicates via WhatsApp. He refuses to send an email. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even though I'm like, look, please, can you send it to the, you know, the support email? Cause then it goes in our support system. And, you know, it's not just me getting it cause I might be on holiday or whatever, but he's like, okay, okay, I got it. And then like two weeks later, what's up? Come on, buddy. Yeah. You know, so it's just people have different ways of doing their digital communication. And to a degree, you got to, you have to decide, are you going to adapt to that or not? Or are you yeah. going to force people into your way of yeah. doing that? So maybe I need to take a fresh look at video. Yeah. yeah. You have the right as a business owner to say, I'm not doing it that way. But you also have to be prepared to accept the consequences of saying, I'm not doing right. it that way. So one thing negative about video is it's a ton of work to yeah, create and to maintain, especially if you're showing shots of your app or your website. When that changes, you now have an out-of-date video that's a pain in the neck to go back and modify. Sure, well, you're better off just making a new video probably. Yeah. But that's the point with any documentation or tutorial that you got to mm. really maintain it, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's rewards for maintaining it. Hmm. Yeah, we've put a lot of work into keeping feature upvotes documentation always up to date, including screenshots. And it's just tedious work, but I think it pays off in terms yeah. of reduced support and a better experience for new customers and so on. We take the approach of just never change anything. <laughs> yeah, which is hey, a good, good, um, a good approach. Well, in, in all seriousness, joking. I mean, I mean, that's an exaggeration, of course, where we are changing things. But in all seriousness, one of the things our customers particularly value about our service is just stability. Yeah. Like they don't want it to change every week. Yeah. I mean the actual service, but also, you know, the doc where the documentation is or the layout or things like that. So, um, you know, it, you got to make sure you got to find the balance there between actually doing things, but, or are you just changing for changes sake? And that can also turn people out. Yeah. That's the downside of stability is you realize after a few years that you've now become very dated when the world has moved on around you in terms of how things work and how things look. I'm not dated, Steve. <laughs> Actually, this was an opportunity for Feature Upvote. Uh, a big, big competitor at the time was User Voice, and they hadn't changed since like 2008. They still had, they hadn't gone responsive. They went mobile first. Everything about okay. it looked like 2008. They've now learned their lesson and really improved, I have to say. But that gave us the chance to get in there and say, look, we are the one that works well on mobile and takes into account that people are sick of creating an account just to give you a comment and so on. Right. Yeah, I, I, particularly in a consumer-facing service, I see that as, you know, I agree, it's, that is very relevant. We're a bit luckier there in that our product is just an API, so, you know, there's less pressure there. But but you're right, you're right. You do have to, you know, to make sure you look fresh and not, um, you know, sometimes you do go to a site that looks like it's 20 years old and you're just like, Oof. Oof. Yeah. But yeah. then you hear if sometimes you meet somebody who tells you about their business and you go and look at this site. And when they're telling you that their business is doing like really good money, it's profitable, they own multiple houses, they travel business class only. And you look at their site and it's one of these ones from like dated from like 2000, 2005. It's really remarkable how in some cases 
keeping fresh and being doing the latest design is actually has nothing to do with a successful business. Well, it depends on the niche, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what do the users, the customers in that niche desire? You know, in some, they want slick interface and usability and use it on mobile. At others, they just want stability. If you're in the one that wants stability, better provide it. So, Ed, anything else before we finish up for today? No, man. Good to welcome back. I hope you enjoyed your break. I it, did. It was fun doing an episode with Peldy, and I enjoyed his episodes, but, you know, good also that you're back. So, yeah, I'd Let's like to go. get Peldy, Peldy onto the show again one way or another. I'll have to talk to him about uh, how he might be able to contribute in the future because I think he has a natural ability at uh, doing interesting interviews. Yeah, I enjoyed my conversation with him. So Yeah, that um, was a good one, a really good I one. Think it's, I think it's probably also good that you, you know, it's good to take a break every now and again. Yeah, and, and yeah. Refresh, so. You know, when you sign up to run a blog or a podcast or whatever, you never put an end line, an end date on it, or you tend not to. It's like, I'm going to do this, and you don't think about where it's going to end. There's these podcasts that say, I'm going to do a season of 10 episodes on some true crime thing. There's a natural end point. But we just sign up for what, forever? Yeah. Everyone exits their podcast even at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, the current format I think works well, though, of having have a guest host for a couple of episodes or, you know, alternate yeah. the format or whatever. But I mean, the other approach, I do think the season approach is a good one. Yeah, yeah. You know, where you pick a, a certain topic, you do whatever, six episodes about that, then you take six weeks off, do another season or whatever it is. That's something very sustainable well. about that approach. And, yeah. and you know, you, you might end a season and never do any more uh, episodes, but at least you've ended on some sort of like finality rather than just fading away with the episodes getting less and less frequent and then just nothing happens, no conclusion. Well, the other benefit of that approach, which I guess would be a criticism of the current format, not just for this podcast, but for others like it is, you know, a lot of times we talk about interesting things, but I guess it can kind of be hard to find that later. Mm, you know, people yeah, might remember, yeah. oh, three years ago, I listened to an episode about pricing. Which one was that or whatever? Uh -huh. Whereas if you go back to the season, if you have a season format, you say, okay, we're going to do five episodes about SaaS pricing. We're going to do yeah. five episodes about marketing. We're going to do five, whatever it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then you can kind of clearly break that out. And then for a new listener, they can just come in and be like, okay, I need to learn about topic X. Let me. Right. On our website, it's then easy to grow them like which what's exactly. you actually interested in here they go hey that's not a bad idea maybe maybe we should look into that maybe doing some mini seasons on that are I've, much I've, deeper been, into some topics. yeah we've been discussing this on our on my geo podcast and maybe we should do maybe 10 episodes about a certain topic and you know some of those could be just guests who are relevant to that topic and some could be us yeah. talking about that topic and yeah. Whatever, so. oh, I like that. Okay. Look, Ed, that's all we have time for today. As always, a very interesting conversation with you. To everybody, thanks for listening. And that's it. Bye, Ed. See you, man. Bye. Bye, everyone.